Good morning. It's good to see you here, and it truly is good to be back in the Lord's house, to be gathered with brothers and sisters in Christ after the week that many of us have had. I was thinking about that just as I was uh, preparing to, to come and worship with you guys this morning was just in light of the fact that many of you have been without power this week. Many of you potentially were displaced from your homes. Uh, a lot of you have suffered the loss of, of property and uh, various other things. And in light of all of that, it truly is good to be back in the Lord's house to be with God's people and to truly be able to declare what we just sang. I need thee every hour. Um, you know, when you go through some of these things like this, you come face to face with the fact that, that a lot of the things that we depend on, a lot of the things that we we just naturally assume will be there and that we, we think, well, we're, we're always covered. You know, sometimes that's not the case. Um, you can have a refrigerator full of food and it'd be gone. Many of you have experienced that this week. You can have a bank account full of money and something can happen and, 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 and it's gone. You can have good health and something can come along in your life and suddenly that health is taken from you. And... and I believe that a lot of what we've experienced this week and what not just us, but certainly those in, in South Florida, those in Houston before us have experienced is, is a recognition that what we just sang is truer than anything that we could probably say. We need him every hour. Um, I think when we go through things like this, it is good. It is a righteous thing. It is a holy thing for us to declare our absolute need and necessity of the Lord in every minute of every day of our lives. And that's never truer probably brought to our attention than in times like this. And so what I would encourage you to just consider is the fact that God often allows us to come to those understandings and that that truly is His grace and His mercy in our lives to help us recognize that which is most important. And so this morning, I'm truly glad to be back among God's people, to be able to sing songs like that and make that declaration, and then to focus our attention on God's Word, that which sustains us through all the difficult storms of life that we come through. So, uh, you know, I was also thinking this week as that hurricane, tropical storm moved through here, you know, I, I remember, just like many of you, we knew it was coming. The forecasters had told us it was coming. We we knew that there were going to be strong winds. We just didn't, I didn't know exactly what to expect. I had never gone through a hurricane like that before, never experienced anything, so I really didn't know what to anticipate. But in my house, I stood back and I looked across a bank and we got four windows and, and out those four windows, you can see a, a stand of, of trees that, that is out in, in a pasture. And so I could, I could watch as those winds, as they, they began to pick up, I watched those trees all begin to bend and to lean as that wind kept just consistently blowing against them. And so it, they developed this, this constant lean. And then as the winds even picked up even more, you could begin to hear the howl and then you could start to, I, I could see some of those limbs. Matter of fact, my kids and, and my wife and I, we said we couldn't believe that some of those limbs were even staying on the trees. They were being blown so hard. And then we watched as the tops came out of some of the trees and blew down. And, and, and through all of that, I just stood there and, and all, and I know this sounds kind of childish in a way, but I just stood there. The only thing that I could say was, wow. I, I just could not get my mind around 
how strong that wind was and how much how hard it was blowing for an extended period of time it was really it was really amazing to me and and in the process of that I, I honestly just thought how small we actually are in the face of, of things like that you feel powerless you feel you feel very small um, and and I just watched it and I was I was just blown away by what I saw and it was those thoughts that were kind of running through my mind when I really began to delve into the passage that I want us to look at this morning that that really began to sink into me and so if you've got your Bibles this morning and I hope that you do we're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark by turning to chapter 7 and we're going to look at verses 31 through 37 of this passage this morning and and in the final verses of this chapter we read about a miracle that took place that Jesus performed it's a miracle that only Mark tells us about. So you won't find it cross-referenced in any other gospel. It's only here that we'll find it. But what we know is that there was a man that was brought to Jesus for healing. And this man was deaf. He, he could not hear. And he also had a speech impediment that, that kept him from being able to communicate with anyone else. And so what we know is that no one was able to verbally communicate with this man and he was unable to verbally communicate with anyone else. But we also recognize that he had some friends. Perhaps it was family, we're not sure. But there were some people who loved this man and they took him and brought him to Jesus and they begged Jesus to heal him. And, and as we'll read, Jesus does heal him. He, he restores both his hearing and his ability to speak. And, but Jesus does it in a very unique way. And as a result, Mark tells us that the people, the people were just blown away. They were astonished. It was like they were standing in front of a bank of windows and looking at what Jesus has done, and they just went, wow, I can't get my mind around what he has just done. I can't help but believe that it was the overwhelming command and the power of Jesus that was able to demonstrate through this miracle that, that those who witnessed it, not the least of which was the man who could now hear and could speak, no doubt just stood back and went, I don't have a category into which I can put this that I have experienced. I don't have a way of even being able to, to utter words that make sense as to what has happened. Nevertheless, this is something that we can be assured of. Jesus did not perform the miracle that we're going to read about this morning. And Mark did not record it in his gospel simply for us to stand back and be amazed by it. In fact, what we know of Mark is that he didn't include anything that was superfluous. He didn't include anything that was needless in his, in his gospel. Rather, everything that Mark wrote about, he did so in order to answer the three questions that we continue to come back to over and over and over again in our text. And if you'll recall, we've answered these questions on many other occasions, and I, I want to attempt to help us answer them this morning. And those three questions are simply this. Who is Jesus? What kind of Messiah is Jesus? And what difference does that make for you and me? What difference should it make in our lives? That's what I hope to be able to attempt to answer from this text this morning. So let's begin reading there in chapter 7, verse 31. The Bible says this. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude, 
and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God. It's for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning. Father, thank you for your goodness and graciousness and mercy to us. Lord, you have been good to us. Many of us have experienced trouble and we've experienced the loss of things over this last week. But yet, Father, through that, you've even taught us that we're not to depend on things, that we're not to have stuff in our life that that's where our joy and hope and security comes from. It's not even in our health. It's not even in, in anything that we can see, touch, or smell, or taste. But just as we've sung this morning and declared, our hope is in you. We need you. We need you more than anything else. You've made that very clear to some of us this week. Perhaps it's through this storm. Maybe it's through some health issues that we're going through. Perhaps it's through some relationship issues that we're experiencing. The fact of the matter is, is that you continue to remind us again and again and again that that you have created us for a relationship with you. And so you're drawing our hearts to you to recognize you and to recognize our need of you. I pray that that would continue. Pray that you by your Holy Spirit would continue to draw us to you. Father, I pray also now in this time that we've got to, to open your word and to study it, that all the distractions of our previous week and maybe the things that we've got facing us in the coming days, that, Father, we might be able to set those things aside for a while that we might be able to concentrate on your word and what you might want to teach us through your word. Help us to be able to do that this morning, to engage in that discipline, we pray, that you might receive glory and honor for it in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 31 kind of tells us that, that things have fast-forwarded. Um, it talks about Jesus moving from Tyre and Sidon down into the region of Decapolis. And, and I won't go into all the details, but that, that, that's a really uh, weird sort of way to describe where it, it's kind of like if we wanted to go to the Blue Willow Inn down in Social Circle a little later for lunch. It's like that's where Jesus went, but he went to Oakwood first. And he traveled up there before he went south to Social Circle. And you would think that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But understand what, what Mark's communicating is that Jesus has had, there, there's, a, there's a period of time that has elapsed between last week's sermon when it ended in verse 30 and, and the Syrophoenician woman's daughter was, was healed of her demon possession. And in verse 31, basically takes about a year's worth of time to just describe Jesus is still out in the Gentile regions. And he's traveling and he's investing into, into his disciples and he's investing into the, the ones that he left that area of, of Israel to invest into. And so that kind of gives us the setting. He's now in the Decapolis. And the Decapolis is a setting of 10 Gentile cities that are located to the south and east of the Sea of Galilee. 
and really on the other side of the Sea of Galilee from Capernaum where Jesus had centered his ministry. And so that's where Jesus is with his disciples. And, and then that leads me to verse 32 and the first point that I want you to see on your outline. And I'm just going to give you some three points to kind of help you see the outline of the text. And the first one is this, the need that is presented to Jesus. There was a need that came and was presented to Jesus by these friends. Verse 32 tells us that at some point, having arrived in the Decapolis, Jesus is sought out by some people who bring to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they were begging Jesus to put his hand on the man. Now, I want you to just consider what life for this man must have been like. Because he was deaf, he couldn't hear anyone. No one could speak to him. He lived in a world of total silence. He couldn't, he couldn't hear anyone talk. He couldn't hear birds chirping. He couldn't hear a bell ring. He couldn't hear a baby laugh. He couldn't hear a choir sing. Total silence. That was the world that this man lived in. Scholars debate whether or not he had been deaf all of his life or whether he had become deaf later in his life because of some accident or some disease. And the fact is, we just don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. What we do know, though, is that not only could he not hear, he could not be understood. He could not speak in a way that anyone could understand what he said. He was not mute in that he could not utter any sounds. He was not... Alelos, which was the Greek word to talk about someone who was completely devoid of any way of speaking whatsoever. Rather, he was, as Mark writes, mogilelos in the Greek. Now, that's a very rare word. As a matter of fact, it's only used here in all the New Testament. And to be mogilelos meant that he was able to utter sounds, but no one could understand the sounds that he was uttering. He could not be understood. He was attempting to communicate, but no one could receive what he was saying and be able to understand it. And hence, the New King James translates it this way, he had a speech impediment. Now, what this description that Mark gives us tells us is just how, how isolated this man's life was. He was cut off from society. He was, he was basically unable to, to have any interaction. In, in the first century world, there wasn't, the ability to read was not nearly as common as, as we have that ability today. Furthermore, there was no formal sign language that was being used in that part of the world and, and, and at that time. And so if you can just imagine that, to, be, to live in a world of complete silence, no ability to communicate outwardly, no ability to receive communication inwardly, and nothing, just imagine how how far removed you would be. I, I wrote down here that he no doubt felt very lonely, secluded, withdrawn, devoid of joy, maybe even hope. Such a realization then tells us why his friends brought him to Jesus and why they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him to heal him. So that's the need that is presented to Jesus now, notice the second point on your outline this morning. Notice the miracle that Jesus performed. The miracle that Jesus performed. There's very little elaboration. Mark doesn't give us a whole lot of information, which is why I say it. He doesn't use a lot of needless words. He just tells us the facts necessary to answer the questions that he wants us to answer. 
But the phrases that he uses here of what Jesus did are all very important. I want us to look at each one of them. Notice the very first phrase there in verse 33 that we read. Jesus took the man aside. That's important to note. You see, normally large crowds gathered around Jesus wherever he was, particularly when, when and, and who, who knows how many folks were there. Mark doesn't tell us. But Jesus didn't want this man to be a spectacle. He didn't want what was about to happen to him to become some kind of a, a circus act. So Jesus takes him and pulls him off the side, maybe to a secluded area. Maybe he takes him in the house. We aren't given those details, but we know that he takes the man aside. And, and so we, we recognize he didn't want him to become a spectacle, but I believe even more important to that is that taking this man aside communicated to him that something specific and something special was going to happen to him. Think about this. His friends couldn't have told him, look, we're taking you to Jesus. He's a miracle worker. He's going to give you back your hearing and your speech. They couldn't have communicated that to him because he was deaf. There was no sign language. They couldn't have written it down. So this man has no idea what is going to happen to him. So what does Jesus do? Jesus takes him, pulls him to the side. And in doing so, as one writer said, he shows particular love to the man. A man who very likely was often looked over and ignored in normal society, Jesus takes aside and makes eye contact with him to let him know that something special was going to happen to him. I personally believe that Jesus drew him close and separated him so that the man could understand something special was about to take place. And here's why I believe that. Because the next thing Jesus does is having taken him aside, he takes his fingers puts them in the man's ears. Then he comes back, spits, I believe, in his hand, takes that spit and rubs it on the man's tongue. Now, some of y'all are freaking out right now. <laughs> I could see you wiggling in your chair just as I mentioned it. That's a little more intimate than we like to get with a, someone we've never met before, Right? Isn't that really strange that Jesus would do something like that? Why? Why would he do it? Jesus could speak and the man could be healed. Jesus didn't even have to be in the same zip code and he could have healed the man. And yet he brings him close, puts his fingers in his ears, spits and touches the man's tongue with his spit. But understand, in doing that, the man... Jesus communicated to him in a very real way, I'm fixing to do something with your deafness. I'm fixing to do something with the fact that you can't speak. There would have been no miscommunication with the man that Jesus, eyeball to eyeball, had something that he was about to do special for this man. I don't believe there was anything haphazard in what Jesus did. He wanted him to know something miraculous was about to take place. And then notice this. Mark tells us that Jesus looked to heaven. Remember, he can't communicate. The man can't hear him yet. So what does this look to heaven communicate to the man? Well, as Derek Thomas has written, he believes this is Jesus using code language once again for the man's benefit. In other words, he's telling the man, look, What's about to happen to you comes from the very power of God himself. 
The heavenly Father is about to do something miraculous from you. This is not some hocus-pocus magic event that's about to take place. This is a miracle from God himself because his look to the heavens communicated that to the man. So if we, we really think about what all Jesus does here, we conclude that though this man was deaf, he couldn't hear a thing, and though there's no formal sign language, no written language there that he could have read, Jesus nevertheless communicated how important and how, how loved this man was. He communicated to him that something special was about to happen to him, that his hearing and his ability to speak was going to be restored. And he communicated the power and the authority by which this healing miracle would take place through the wonder-working power of God himself. And I have got something that is flying all over me up here. Do y'all see that? Get thee behind me, Satan. There we go. Notice the next thing, though, that this passage tells us that Jesus did. It says that he sighed. Now, we might just blow past that and not really slow down, but I think that would be a mistake. Why did Jesus sigh? What is a sigh? A sigh is a, a huge exhale of air to where your lungs are just kind of devoid of air and, and you sort of your body kind of crumples on itself a little bit. Oftentimes, though, why do we sigh? Why do our children sigh? I can tell you why sometimes mine sigh. They don't like what they see. They don't like what they're being served. They don't like something that's going on. Well, I don't think that that's too far removed from why Jesus might have sighed here. You see, when Jesus sighed, it was, I believe, an expression of exasperation. It was an expression of, of being frustrated. It was an expression of, of perhaps even sorrow. Why? Well, because I believe that he recognizes just how cut off this man is. He recognized just how alone this man has been. And he's offended by it. You see... I believe that in sighing, Jesus is actually communicating how moved he is by the fallenness of this world. He's moved by what sin has done. He's moved by the fact that the lives of men, women, boys and girls have been ravaged by sin. And through his sighing, Jesus is giving a visual that communicates that this ought not to be. This was not how creation was supposed to be. When, when God created mankind, He created him so that He might reflect the glory of God the Father. And the image of God, He bore that image. But this poor wretch of a man who cannot hear and cannot speak shows just how marred humanity is because of sin. And Jesus is moved by it. Don't read, don't read your Bibles too fast. Slow down sometimes. Consider what they sell you. Because I believe in his sigh, we are once again brought face to face with his compassion for hopeless and helpless sinners like this man and just like you and I. Matter of fact, I would say this to you. Thank God that Jesus sighed. Finally, notice what happens next, though. Jesus speaks. And he speaks a, a, a strange word. Matter of fact, you might even try it yourself. I would almost just ask you to try it with me because it's a tough word to say. Ephatha. Ephatha. Putting two F sounds, two hard F sounds back to back is a difficult thing to do. And it was an Aramaic, that's an Aramaic term. And Mark feels the necessity to translate that term for his Greek-speaking audience. So he says, this is what Ephatha means. It means be opened. 
Isn't it interesting that those would have probably been the very first word that this man heard? Ephatha. Obviously, in being open, he meant for the man's ears to be open so that he could hear. And I believe he also meant for his mouth to be open so that he could fully communicate in a way that he had not been able to communicate before. And so he says, be open, ephatha. So Jesus, here's what we see. Jesus took the man, he took him aside, he touched him, he looked to heaven, he sighed, and he spoke to it. And then verse 35 tells us that immediately, immediately his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was loosed and he spoke plainly. Catch this. Don't, don't read too fast there either. Notice that there was not a delay. Notice that he did not have to, to go to a, a, a speech pathologist, a pathologist or, or a therapist to learn how to speak. Notice that he did not have to go to a grammarian to tell him how to interpret the language that was being spoken to him. Notice that he immediately was able to determine what the inflection of one's voice was, whether it went up at the end for a question or it went down at the end for a statement. He was immediately able to understand that. How do we know? Because Mark tells us that he began to speak plainly. In other words, not only could he receive information, he could transmit information as well. He no longer struggled with whatever it was that had impeded him. It was gone. It was vanished by the power, the miraculous power of Jesus. But I don't want you to miss the even greater miracle. That's miraculous enough. But think about this. Instantly, this man went from being in isolation and from being cut off from everyone around him Suddenly, he was included. He was a part. He was no longer an outsider looking in. He was an insider. He understood what all had been said. He knew who this man was that was in front of him. He knew why his friends had brought him there now. Can you just imagine how earth-shattering something like that would have been for this man? How upside down it would have turned his world? It really is the amazing nature of this miracle that makes what Jesus says next so astounding to me. It's puzzling. Verse 36 tells us that Jesus commanded them that they should tell no one. In other words, the man and the few who had been there to witness this miracle were told to keep silent. Now, I kind of like how John MacArthur has put it. He notes the irony of this scene. You see, the man who had previously been free to speak but couldn't, he's now the man who can speak but's not permitted. Isn't that strange? Why? Well, as we've seen on many other occasions, when Jesus performed miracles, his popularity, his fame spread like wildfire as a result of it. And oftentimes what would happen is that many people then would start to bring their sick and their afflicted and their demon-possessed to him in order for him to heal them. But Jesus had made it very clear that his number one priority and the reason why he came was that he might preach and proclaim the gospel, the inbreaking power of the kingdom of God. And he did that so that they might be healed spiritually and eternally. Yet the people, the people oftentimes were more concerned about their temporal healing and their physical healing to the degree that those pressures overwhelmed Jesus and his ability to preach the good news. And we've seen that repeatedly throughout Mark's gospel thus far. And I believe that is exactly the reason why he said to them there, look, I have come for a greater purpose, so remain quiet. But even so, 
Notice that the people respond. In fact, that's the third point on your outline this morning. The third point tonight today is just the response of the people. Notice that though Jesus wanted this miracle to remain secret, Mark quickly tells us that the more he commanded them to be quiet, the more widely they proclaimed it. Just as it had happened before, so it happens here. And this is the thing. It's hard to keep good news to yourself, isn't it? I don't know. We live, in a, we live in a country where it's hard to keep bad news to ourselves a lot of times. We like to tell everything that we know about bad about somebody. But when something really good happens to you, you don't want to keep quiet about that, do you? They couldn't stop telling, though, about the miracle, according to verse 37. Why? It's because they were astonished beyond measure. They were looking out the four windows of their life at what had just taken place in this man's life, and they were going... We have never seen anything like this before. We have no category into which we can put what has just happened in front of us, and we've got to tell somebody about it. I kind of feel for them. What if you were the man who everybody knew you couldn't talk and you couldn't hear, and suddenly you're talking and listening to them, and they're going to want to know, what happened to you? How did this happen? What about the people? What were they supposed to say when they were asked questions? Well, according to verse 37, we learn what they said. Verse 37, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Two very important phrases, two, two parts of that, and I, both of them are very important. I want to look at them briefly. Notice the first, they said, he has done all things well. That language is an echo of what we see in the, in the account of the creation in Genesis 1, verse 31. You recall after, after God had created everything, Genesis 1, 31 says, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was what? Very good. We might even say God did all things well. That's an echo of that same language. Ray Fowler, he has written that when God does something, he always does it well. He never, he never does sloppy or substandard work. What he begins, he finishes, and he always does it to perfection. Listen, the Gentiles, they have seen what Jesus has done in healing this deaf and this mute man, and they conclude, look, he has done all things well. And he has. Also notice this, though, the same next thing. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Now, that statement finds its echoes back in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 35. You don't need to turn there, but you might want to write that passage down, and you might want to go back and read it for yourself later because it's a beautiful passage that talks about the hope and the salvation that we have in God. And in the chapters that lead up to Isaiah 35, God has been given this prophecy to Isaiah saying that he was going to send judgment upon the people because of their sinfulness and because of their rebelliousness. In fact, he was going to turn their land into a wasteland. That's the, the previous chapters. But then comes Isaiah 35. And in Isaiah 35, we, we, we get this prophecy from the Lord that there would be a day, though, when he would redeem everything to himself. A day when he would restore the people to the land and he would restore them to their health. Isaiah 35 is sort of like a bright shaft of the sun's light shining in the morning right after a dark storm has moved through. Listen to what, listen to what it says. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them. 
And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it. The excellence of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And then, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. And the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. Isn't that beautiful language? Beautiful language that gives us hope for the future. And you know what's important? There's a, there's a significant key in this passage. There in Isaiah 35, verse 6, where it is written that the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb or the mute will sing. Do you know what word, when, that, when the Hebrew language was translated into Greek, do you know what word they used there? Mogilelos. The word that's only used once in the New Testament in Mark chapter 7 is only used one other time in the entire Bible, and it's here in Isaiah 35. And it's a word there I said that's a very rare word, but I believe that because that, that rarity of those words, Mark is drawing attention to the fact that what Isaiah prophesied would take place, that when the Messiah came and that, that blind eyes would see and deaf ears would hear and lame would leap and that the tongues would be loosened, He's saying that what was prophesied in Isaiah 35, that is happening over here in Mark 7. He's drawing the parallel saying this is that. That's what it all is about. And so what we are able to understand about Jesus is that Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that the prophecies all said were going to take place. The forecasters of the Old Testament said, Jesus is coming, the Messiah is on his way. And Mark is telling us, and he has come, and it's demonstrated in the fact that this man receives his hearing, and his tongue has been loosened. What an interesting, interesting and wonderful thing. Therefore, what this, this miracle tells us is that Jesus is the Messiah. And listen, he does all things well. And what is so interesting is that it appears that the Gentiles of the Decapolis were able to understand this miracle and understand from it who Jesus was better than the Jews to whom the prophecies had been given were able to understand Jesus. So that's the exposition of this text. What does it mean for us? Well, the three questions. Who is Jesus? The text reveals to us. He's Jesus the Messiah. He is the Messiah who has come to, to make all things right, to restore that which has been fallen, to restore that which has been broken and marred by sin. Well, second question, what kind of Messiah is Jesus? Well, he's the kind of Messiah that comes close to us. He's the kind of Messiah that came close to this man and grabbed him and brought him in. You see, the Bible tells us that Jesus came and he took on flesh. He was God, a very God, but he came and he took on flesh. Why? So that he could be a part of us. 
It's like he came and he grabbed us by our ears so that he could look us into the eyes and say, I'm going to become like you so that I can redeem you and I can save you. That's the kind of Messiah that Jesus is. Isaiah says that God is going to send with his, he's going to come with vengeance and with recompense. And we may say, well, wait a minute, that's not what we know about Jesus. Jesus didn't come with a sword. He didn't come to slay his enemies. No, but here's what we do know about Jesus. He did not come to bring vengeance and recompense. He came to receive it. He received God's punishment for sins upon himself, upon the cross. So what kind of Messiah is he? He's the kind of Messiah that comes and gets involved in our everyday lives. And he's the kind of Messiah that took on our curse upon himself so that we might be delivered of that curse. So if that's the kind of Messiah that Jesus is, if that's who he is and that's the kind of Messiah he is, then the third question, what does that mean for you and I? Well, here's what I would say. We better not miss that the Old Testament prophets and all of the Old Testament predicted that he was going to come. Just like those weather forecasters kept telling us, Hurricane Irma's coming. The Old Testament constantly kept saying, the Messiah is coming. And when he got there, Mark is telling us, he's here and this is what he's done. He has suffered in your place so that you might humble yourself before him, trust in him, and receive the benefits of his grace and mercy. What does it mean for you and I? It means, first of all, we ought not turn a deaf ear spiritually to the good news of the gospel that Jesus came to reveal. Second thing it means, we ought to have our tongues loosened that we tell the world about this good news. You see, the man not only was able to be given hearing so that he could understand, he was loosed so that he could speak. And you and I do not have the, 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 nothing tells us that we're not to go out and tell the good news. In fact, the good news is supposed to be told by the church. We are supposed to declare to everyone around us that God does all things well. That Jesus does all things well. That means he does all things well even in the midst of our trials. God still does all things well. God still does all things well even when a hurricane comes into our life. God does all things well even when a diagnosis of cancer comes into our life. God does all things well even when our relationships crumble around us. God still does all things well and he has loosened our tongues that we might go out into a world and declare that to those who are around us. That's what this text means for us and how we are to respond. And the good news of it is this. Even though we live in a fallen world where there is still deaf ears and muted tongues and cancer and hurricanes, the Bible tells us that one day God will reconcile all things to himself. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more dying. Why? Because God will have brought all things to bear. And all who have by faith trusted in him, he will bring to himself and he offers that good news to all who will trust in him now. Therefore, as we await that day, we boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that then leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this. What this text has taught us is that Jesus is the promised Messiah, worthy of praise, whose death and resurrection have removed sin's curse for those who place their faith in him. 
He has opened deaf ears to hear and loosened mute tongues to proclaim this good news. Brothers and sisters, that is good news. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Let's pray together this morning.